0: It's time to play like a Jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Play like a Jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it! They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown! Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards!
1: Mason 10 left to And up. will take it in. It's a big And a touchdown! Fell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown.
0: Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass road. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll
1: hit immediately he got the handoff. You know who yes. <laughs> the q Oh my gosh. Thank you.
2: From the TOJ Digital Studios. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet1. And we're going to do the mailbag, but we're going to do it a little bit differently this week Normally, the very big deal, Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com would be here But I thought it would be cool if for a change we got a different perspective Somebody who's a professional football player for a decade, three seasons with the Jets And of course he's known far and wide across the globe Not just here in the United States, not just in New York all over, we're talking Europe, we're talking Africa, we're talking over oh, New Zealand, oh, yeah. Iceland, oh. Greenland, everywhere, as a man, more, man. who sacked Tom go. Brady, not just once, uh-uh-uh, not just once, but twice in a single game, Jamal Westerman. What's going on, Jamal?
1: Hey, Scott, man, that build-up, man. I think I'm going to have to learn how to say sack him twice in a different language. Then I think, uh, you know... We're moving forward, you know, since I'm world renowned, you now, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until you just told me that. But uh, happy New Year's, brother. Happy New Year's with everything, and it's time to get this going.
2: Happy New Year, sir. How was your New Year, and how was your Christmas?
1: Oh man, fantastic, man. Family over for Christmas, opening up gifts. I almost killed myself with one of those drones. <laughs> you know, it says, you know, the age, you know, the age said five, five plus. I'm thinking, all right, I'm, I'm pretty plus. You know, I'm over five and <laughs> playing with the drone, looking, looking through my phone. I'm looking at it. It's going well. I looked at it at my phone. All I see is the top of my head. Had to duck out the way. So I put the drone up. You know, I'm going to take that one back because I don't think, if I can't use it, I know my five-year-old daughter, Ariel, won't be able to use it. So I got to take that one back to the store. But other than that, Christmas was fantastic. New Year's was special. Friends and family over. Had a good little hanging out party and excited for 2020. I've always wanted a drone, so
2: maybe after we're done, you and I can work out some sort of trade or something.
1: Oh, yeah, I'll trade you that drone. Listen, man, but if it kills you, it's not my fault. Like, you know, we have to sign an agreement <laughs> that if that drone permanently damages damages you, then I, have, I can wipe my hands with it.
2: Listen, as long as that drone doesn't do to me what you did to Tom Brady, I think I'll be all right. Hey, two times. <laughs> So let's jump into the mailbag Jamal, a ton of questions People really want to hear your perspective on things So let's start with Will At NotSince69, he says Jamal, have you ever been on a team Where it is literally coached by two guys Like the Jets are With Gase as the head coach of the offense And Greg Williams as the head coach of the defense And if so, what positives, if any Can be accomplished by a head coach Who only cares about one side of the ball What negatives do you see Also, happy new year So I'm going to throw this to you, Jamal, but I'm going to guess that Rex Ryan might have been a little bit like the reverse of Adam Gase in that way, right?
1: Uh, Definitely. You know, over my career, I've had the opportunity of being a defensive player, and especially my first year, you know, with the Jets, you know, I was coached by Rex, who is a known as a defensive coach. He was a defensive coordinator in the league, a linebacker coach in the NFL for a long time, and he was my head coach. So he was a defensive guy, but Rex always took interest in the office, as in building the offense, what type of offense he wanted. He wanted a ground-up pound. You know, he always spoke to the characteristics that he wanted an offensive lineman. And at, at that time, we had a couple of great offensive linemen, you know, Mangold, Brickashar Ferguson, Meat, you know, Woody, Fanica. So it was a good group up front. And Rex kind of set the tone with the type of play he wanted out of the team and especially the offense. So, you know, even though he was a defensive guy, but the team was built and kind of his image and the images of the organization. So there was one kind of message and one kind of team creole of, you know, we're going to be a physical group who runs the ball, who plays great on defense. And with West off on special teams, you know, we're going to kill it there. So I think having, you know, an offensive head coach or a defensive head coach, I think there is a head coach and normally his vision is the vision of the entire team, but, and having a, you know, that mind and Greg Williams over the, over on the defensive side can only be a um, an asset to any head coach around this league because he's seen so much. So I don't think there's a – it's not a crazy thing when you have an offensive head coach who is more experienced on the offensive side of the ball. And, a, you know, you may have an experienced, you know, defensive head coach Greg Williams. You've seen Wade Phillips for a, a long time, you know, on different teams being a defensive coordinator, even though he's had head coaching experience before. So I don't think it's a, something that's too outlandish or too crazy. I think it's a normal thing in a NFL circles.
2: So what you're saying essentially is that while Brian Schottenheimer ran the offense while you were on the Jets, it was Rex's vision overall, and then it was up to Schottenheimer to carry out how to bring that vision to life. So Rex wanted a ground-and-pound-based team that was physical and that was heavy on pounding people in the trenches— that seems a little bit different to me than Gase because it seems like we don't know what Gase's vision is for a defense. It feels more like he just turns to Greg Williams and says, "Do your thing, I'll do mine," and that's it. Whereas Rex may not have been hands-on with the offense, Schottenheimer was carrying out what he knew Rex wanted overall. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that is, you know, that 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 is the case because. To say that we don't know what Adam Gates wants on, a, on a, as a defensive side of the ball, I think that's a little bit inaccurate. Uh, you know, as a head coach, you set the tone for your entire coaching staff. And even in having that experience in Greg Williams, all the teams I've been around, you know, you know, teams that have won, teams that have lost, there's been a very collaborative effort in, with the coaching staff and talking about defensive plans and defensive coaches talking to offensive coaches. You know, what what will hurt you here? You know, as a, as, on the offensive side of the ball, Gates to look to Greg Williams and say, how would you play this this play or this route combination if you're in this coverage? What would you tell your guys to do? So I don't think it's – I think it's a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit too much piling on to say that we don't know from Adam Gates what this defense is supposed to be because with the injuries they sustained early in the season and having to cover up different things for, and how this defense ended up playing down the stretch, I think there's a lot of positives you can look towards what that defense is becoming, even if it's not – you know, maybe the scheme or the, the amount of, you know, production as numbers, but there's a defense that you know that they're building the right culture because when you went out there and you watched, you know, most of the season, especially over the last, you know, half of the season, you see all the defense that played with this tremendous amount of energy, a tremendous amount of you know passion flying around to the ball that played physical. So even though the scheme things, we can talk about well, who picks the scheme and what kind of scheme they want to run, but you saw that type of the mindset of how to play defense and be successful. You saw them carry that Really throughout most of the season Even in dealing with different things of injuries and guys missing games
2: Next is a series of questions From Michael Palace. He says Given that we've seen success From former Arena Football League quarterbacks As head coaches in the NFL Do you think an all-time great Arena Football League quarterback Who's now an all-time great AFL head coach Could transition immediately To an NFL head coach The same way that a college head coach could? In other words, college coaches with no NFL coaching experience going to the NFL and becoming a head coach there. I'm asking because of the offensive nature of the NFL game today and because I think Clint Dolezel could make that transition if he wants to and if an NFL team was willing to give him a chance. I'm going to let you answer this Jamal but first I'll just say I think it's very Different when you're talking about college to pro And arena to pro because The arena league game is so much different Than the NFL game there's So many different rules and there's A lot of things that you can do in the arena League that you can't do in the NFL and so on And so forth so I think it's a lot Tougher to transition me personally I think if you're talking about somebody Like Clint Dolezal you'd be more Likely to see him come in first as Say a quarterbacks coach and then work as way up than to get a head coaching job right away because I just think that the transition from the arena league game to the pro game requires a lot more learning on the job than you can really do if you go straight from head coach in the AFL to head coach in the NFL
1: you know I I think I think I'm with you on on that one which I'm not saying that you can't make that transition but I just believe you know college you're making the transition is, is different because you're playing on the same side field yes the rules are different but the schematic fits and, you know, the way you play the game is, is similar than the arena league. But I think the biggest thing is just the handling of, of the players, you know, handling of your staff. You know, most colleges, especially the universities and the programs that are, you know, being plucked, you know, with their, their head coaches being plucked for, you know, NFL jobs and you know, professional jobs, they're, they're hands-over they're recruiting, they're handling, you know, 100-plus players, you know, dozens of people on staff, they're handling, you know, they're more CEO types than just, you know, schematical guys, scheme guys, like we saw you know, maybe years in the past where, you know, last cycle of looking for coaches, we're, we're looking for Sean McVays We're looking for the schematical guys that can throw the ball off, that can transition the college game to the pro game. Now in this cycle of you see, you know, what are GMs, what are, you know, the people who are, you know, the headhunter that are looking for head coaches, what are they looking for? And it's more about leader of men, you know, communicator, you know, guys with, uh, you know, emotional intelligence that can, you know, talk to different players, handle situations where players are in the positive, in the negative, you know, players are complaining, you know, people in the staff may feel, you know, that they're being overlooked. There's so many situations that go on within a franchise, and organization, in the college. So not saying an arena person cannot transition, but I'm not, you know, I never played in the arena league. So I'm not sure how many people they handle during the off season, you know, with the draft. You know, I know arena league there's not so much of a draft, it's more of a free agent period where you're picking through guys that may have been underlooked, guys that are unemployed, rather than in the NFL in college or recruiting, you're gaining you know, you're trying to gain talent, you're acquiring, you know, more assets to kinda of put out there on the field. So not saying it can't be done, but it's more of you know, if the arena if the guy from the arena league is a leader of men, the guy that can lead an organization that could be a CEO type, there's no reason he couldn't do it, but like you said, normally They'll move into the NFL at a lower position And then show that they can get it done at the top level Next
2: question from Michael Palace: If the Jets had a rotation of players like Jordan Jenkins Rather than getting that top-tier edge rusher Do you think they could still develop a pass rush From the middle of the defense Or is a top-edge rusher a necessity?
1: Uh, top-edge rusher, pass rusher, middle of the defense it, it You know, it, it goes back to, okay, what are you looking at on defense? If it's Greg Williams, we've seen throughout this season and throughout his career that it doesn't really matter what you give him. You know, he, he may want a top rusher. He may want a lockdown corner. He may want an entire lineman. But Greg Williams, whatever he gets, he seems to just work with his players. And he says, you know, show me what they can do is a quote that's always attributed to him. Show me what my players can do, not what they can't do. So I think, you know, interior rusher, you drafted Quentin Williams, even though his rookie year wasn't as tremendous as, he said he would have liked, you know. But I think, you know, top edge, edge rush would be great. That's something that the Jets have been looking for for a long time. But you just have to keep developing your players. Jenkins played a great a good season, had a lot of sacks. You have a lot of young guys that ended up playing more this year. So it may not be always, you know, you may have a free agent that you go pick or a guy that you draft that may come in right away. But there are some young guys that you expect to see that next step. You know, moving forward into the offseason, offseason program and uh, into next season.
0: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill.
2: Final question from Michael. He says, I've been meaning to get your take on something since you're a former player and you would have a different perspective than most in the media. I was listening to Chris Moore a few weeks back. Smart man. Michael Chris Moore is one of my favorites. As you know, I've been on his show. He's been on this podcast. I'm hoping to have him on again soon. And he just had a great rant the other day about this whole situation going on with the Jets. Chris Moore said something very interesting that I agree with. Basically what he said boils down to the fact that he said there's no season-to-season momentum in the NFL due to general extensive roster turnover. What do you think of that? Do you think that it's true that even if you close out the season with a couple of wins, it's not like it carries over?
1: I think that's you know, there is a lot of turnover, but I think that's incorrect. If you close out the season with, you know, and we'll talk, you know, specifically about the Jets, but I think this is all teams. If you you know start off the season horribly, you know you one and whatever you know wins. You close out the season six and two. There's something that made a change. You know there's something in, in in the locker room, something in the front office, something on the practice field where players you know that they, they made a change or they're focusing more, they're coming together the more they're developing better. It's not, you know, it's not to say that just because you finish sixth and two, next you're going to start off great and you're going to the playoffs you're making it to the Super Bowl. But I think you can speak a little bit of the culture of the players staying determined, the players staying together and kind of working through the ad- adverse moments in the season. You know, as a player, I've been on teams where, you know, we're one in something going mid-year of the year, mid-year of the season, and guys are still playing hard. Guys still have hope and a belief that, you know, we can play better. We can we can work it out. So I think it may not be in wins and losses and, you know, you can't carry the stats over to next year. But you, I definitely can, you know, say that you can carry over, you know, fighting through that adversity, you know, playing together. You know, maybe have a young guy playing a lot. That momentum that he got, the positive gains, looking like a Nate Shepard, uh, you know, Fotokasi, um, you know, a lot of these young guys that went out. pool. a guy that went out, signed a, a smaller contract, went out and had a a great year looking for, you know, probably big money in the off season. These are guys that that six and two record, you know, you're going to look at that and looking into next season, these are guys are going to have more confidence in the off season program. And they're going to have more confidence in preseason last year because they played a lot in 2019 and they played well to end the season. And they're going to have confidence and, moving forward because they've battled through adversity and you know they can talk about listen just keep your head down just keep grinding when they hit a three game losing streak or two game losing streak next season you know they can talk about the adverse moments when they battle through you know this year so i do think you know that yeah you're right you can't carry over stat into next year but the momentum of the culture of the you know working hard you know how do you attack practice? How do you attack injuries? I think that does carry over throughout an organization, and I think from the successful organizations and the successful teams that you see, what do you see? You see commitment, high-character player, competitiveness, and these those are all things that can be carried over into you know the next season. And it, really, the next season we're thinking about the next season as in next September. But for a lot of these players, the next season is OTAs. It's the off season. It's how am I going to train? Am I going to take this momentum? Am I going to train harder because you know what, I was a young guy, I got to play a lot, but they're not looking for me to play, so now I have to put it back out there that you know I'm ready to show up, I'm ready to play, and I'm a better player than I was previously.
2: I definitely think that player development is something that can be carried over because, as exactly. you said, there are guys like Fadakasi and Shepard I don't necessarily think that a couple of wins over some really bad teams is going to be something that carries over the momentum. I think that's really more what Chris was talking about. And I think that to the Jets' point here, you go back and look at 2013, and that's a good example because the Jets were a team that finished the season strong. They were 8-8, eight and eight, and they beat a lot of bad teams by very close margins. And the following year, they ended up being 4-12. and 12. The big question now, Jamal, I think, is whether or not Joe Douglas is able to really Bolster the talent level On the rest of this roster If he can do that, then we'll see But I think if not, this is definitely a team That's a regression candidate because of the fact That they had a very easy travel schedule They had the easiest schedule in the NFL And the bulk of their wins Were against bad teams by very tight margins
1: Scott, I I have a question When you say bad teams, are the Jets Would you put the Jets as part of those bad teams? Sure So they basically had wins over teams that they're similar to That, you know the teams that if they're part of the bad teams. It's not that like they're we're saying we're sitting here saying this is a great season for the Jets and but they've only beaten bad teams going into the playoffs. They're a team that had a lot of struggles earlier on, they had a lot of adversity, just like every team has. And they, you know, and in those, you know, adverse moments, they ended up beating teams that are in similar situations, you know, playing younger quarterbacks, playing with injuries, you know, maybe new head coaches, new staffs coming together. And those are the teams that so you know, that I think that you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be able to beat teams that you're in the same similar situation as in a professional league. And that's just, mm. that's just competitiveness. So I, I can't, it's always hard for me to say, Oh, they only beat bad teams. Look what the team was. I mean, it's not like they were, you know, undefeated or they were 11 or something in the last couple of games. They beat some bad teams. They were one of the teams that you would at that started off slow, that didn't perform well, that, were kind of all over the place, and, you know, offensive protection, what the defense wants to do, which quarterback was healthy enough to play. And they went on, and you have to give props for being able to win games in the NFL because the NFL is – we can point to the worst team in the NFL. Oh, you know, this team was horrible, and this is one of the worst teams. And we've seen these teams – even last year, we've seen Miami beat Patriots late. We've seen teams go down that are on the Super Bowl run or going into the playoffs and lose a game late. So I think they just beat the teams they were supposed to. At the end of the year, they were supposed to beat those teams. Those are the teams in the same category as them that weren't gonna to go to the playoffs. And they you know, they were able to steal a couple of games, but they just kept playing. And that's the thing, you know, more than a wins and losses when you're not in the playoffs, did they compete every day.
2: The offense didn't, and I think that's the big problem. They were 32nd in the league, and they looked terrible against a Buffalo Bills second-string team. They couldn't score any points against Cincinnati, who's the worst team in the league. They got beaten soundly by the Dolphins the first time, who had no wins at the time. I'm saying I think that you have to look at – Process over results, Jamal That's really what this comes down to Chris Nimbley talks about this a lot, but it's true You have to look beyond just the raw numbers And yeah, they finished 6-2 and two, But it's kind of like what we saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers They were 8-8 eight and eight and everybody talked about Oh, I can't believe how they're winning games Okay, they're beating teams that are bad And they're beating them by small margins What would happen anytime they played a good team? They lost And so if they had gotten into the playoffs They would have gotten destroyed It reminds me a little bit of the year 2008, the year before you got to the Jets, when the Dolphins got into the playoffs with the most ridiculous point differential and turnover differential that you would ever imagine. And they got absolutely blown out in the first round because they were getting lucky for the bulk of the season. So what I'm saying is a lot of these wins aren't necessarily indicative of the team being any good. It's just a matter of circumstance and luck. And so if you count on that going into the following season, that's where I think that you have a problem. If you look at it and say, hey, 7-9, and we're really building something, that's where the flaws are coming in in your thinking. I think if... You look at that and say, all right, I guess it wasn't that bad, but we've got a lot of holes to fix. Let's go out and fix them. And then you go out and get players that fill the major holes that you have. That's a whole different story. I'm just saying that I don't think that people should look at this and go, oh, 7-9, that's pretty good with this roster. They're on the right track. I don't necessarily see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying this is just, why it's good because say, you and I have different vantage points because you played, so you see things in a different way than I do, and that's why I like getting your perspective on this.
1: I think I think you know as as you look and has been on players and teams that I've missed the playoffs. When you miss the playoffs, it doesn't matter how you ended the year. Nobody nobody's sitting in the locker room saying, "Man, we got you know we ended six and two mm-hmm. and it's so great because we're all booking the trip back right. home and got the black you know garbage bags." Putting your helmets and getting jerseys signed and getting some new Jordans. I thought Jamal Adams sending everybody Jordans. I mean, I guess we're on the <laughs> podcast, but, uh, you know, getting new Jordans and nobody's happy of the results when you don't go to the playoffs. So I think if, you know, just because, you know, people say, oh, we're six and two at the end, I think it's, they talk more towards we were able to come together. Mm. I don't think they're saying six and two, man. If we doubled that, we're, mm-hmm. you know, 12 and this and we're in the playoffs and we're making a run towards the Super Bowl. I think they're saying we're able to come together. We're able to put it on the practice field. We are able to, you know, come and have at least a competitive-looking team. You know, we weren't having the the same miscommunications we've had earlier in the season. You know, we weren't missing the same tackles. And then the defensive player, those are the things you look for, you know, when you are playing bad, even if it is the offensive side of the ball. You go out there and you look and say, all right, in this game, I got to make sure I do, you know, do my job. I do my 111. I run to the ball, you do the small things. And then if you see a win come from, all right, we're going to have more energy this game. And if you win, what are you going to say next day? Let's come on, let's keep it up. Let's keep the energy up. Let's practice harder. So I think that the building block, the six and two is not saying, okay, the Jets are six and two in the second half of the season. You know, it's a great, guys are playing better. You can stay pat with the roster. You can stay pat with, you know, six and two and expect that to carry into next season. I think it's more of, you know there's some holes to fill there's some reevaluations of players on the team and you know some guys that you didn't expect to get injured and if everything would have been perfect maybe they would have had a better results but there was something that changed over that second half if it's just getting guys back from injuries or like they spoke about a lot just taking it from the actual practice field and putting it on the game field on Sunday. So, I guess, you know, from a player, the end of the year, you're off the playoffs, it's horrible, it sucks, it's the worst thing on earth. But to be able to keep playing and playing better as the year went on, that's something that's a positive you can look for from a player's perspective.
2: The defense played better, not so sure about the offense. So, I think that's more about rallying around Greg Williams. But we'll see what happens in 2020. Hopefully, I'm wrong and Adam Gase figures it out. play like a jet play like a jet next question comes in from the jet ranger he says do you think adam gase's presence is going to deter free agents from wanting to come here and players from staying who are free agents and have options to go elsewhere so jamal this is something that you would have a much better insight into than i would are there specific coaches that might scare players away and if so do you think gase might be one of them
1: uh, the, the head coach of a team is is a big factor when you know, players are moving players are in free agency and they're you know being recruited by teams or being brought in you know they're kind of the teams that give you this this is what we want to pay you or this is where we see you fit within the defense or this is what you can bring to our organization or this is why we can't pay you a certain type of money you know and there are head coaches you hear about you know, how they practice, you know, maybe the work in practice, how they treat the players. Is it, you know, do they treat you professional, like a businessman, or do they treat you like children? You know, are they respectful of you? Are they respectful of your time? Or, you know, maybe they don't respect your time and, you know, they keep you forever. You know, so there are different things that, yeah, players may say I don't want to go there. But I think for each person, is different. You know, I think sometimes it may be a money factor where, listen, I'm going where the most money is. Or it can be I want to go to be close to home. Or, you know what? Hey, the head coach of this team, I don't know him as well, but man, that offensive coordinator or this offensive line coach, when I played for him, I got, you know, I got the best play out of myself. So I want to go for that guy. So there's many different options. There's many different things that go into picking a team. Adam Gaines, I don't think it will deter because the only reason I say that is we have to be very careful of using what we, what we see, you know, in an interview or after a loss or after a, a tough season and using that as, the, uh, how he's perceived inside of a locker room. You know, I, I, I think tough year, tough season. If you were to pick apart a lot of coaches, a lot of, you know, executives, you know, their toughest year or tough season, you know, some of the things may not look the greatest, but then you talk to the players on the field, you talk to the players in the locker room, you know, you talk to some of the staff, some of the different people that work in the organization and it's about what they're speaking about. You know, when I, when I was a free agent, I was a free agent a couple times or one time in Miami, I didn't just go talk to Ireland down in Miami. I talked to some of the coaches that I knew down there. You know, my old um, specialties coach, Darren Ridley, he was the specialties coach at the time at Miami. You know, I spoke to him about the organization, you know, how how are the new coaches, you know, because, you know, they just brought in uh, Joe Philbin was the new head coach. How was he, you know, how are the people you work with? How's the GM? How's the area? So you speak to different people, and sometimes you may think, at one point I thought Rex Ryan was this, you know, this stone-cold defensive coordinator because I'd never met him before and I just heard, hey, the defensive coordinator from Baltimore, he's going to be your new head coach. You know, when you go on this visit to the Jets, he's the new head coach. And I'm thinking he's a stone-cold killer, like, oh, defensive coordinator, hard-nosed, you know, double chin strap, ground-and-pound guy. And he was the most... That was one of the, the interviews and the recruiting trips I had that was the funnest. He was talking about dancing, talking about where he likes to go and eat, telling jokes. So you never really know what somebody is until you meet them and you talk to them as a player. So I think it won't deter players because of Adam Gates. because I think when he sits down in front of somebody and that player talks to Jamal Adams, that player talks to Sam Darnold, that player talks to maybe somebody on the defense, those are the stories that will deter or attract a player from a, specific, uh, a certain person or a certain organization. I don't think it's as much as you know, they're not just going to say, well, I saw something on TV that I didn't like about you.
2: I do want to throw this out there Apropos of nothing But since Go you ahead. brought him up Darren Rizzi is freaking awesome I love Darren Rizzi I'm a member of the Darren Rizzi Appreciation Society Brant Boyer is great too Darren Rizzi, by the way Coached the number three special teams unit In the NFL this year Brant Boyer was fourth with the Jets So the Jets have a really good one With Brant Boyer Oh yeah,
1: Brandt. I had Brant when I was in Indy I had Brant when I was in Indy, man Good dude I mean, very attention to detail Great motivator
2: Yeah, Brant Boyer is tremendous and so is Darren Rizzi So when you brought him up, my eyebrows You can't see it, but my eyebrows went up Because I'm a big fan of Darren Rizzi Next question comes in from Gus Toon He says, question for the legend That is Jamal Westerman (laughs) He's like, now I'll answer your question Who is the best (laughs) offensive lineman That you played against in a game And who is the best that you played against In training camp practice?
1: Ooh, the best offensive lineman I think i played against in the, in the game. Listen, I mean, i played against so many great guys. Um, listen, let me think of somebody that, that's really stood up. You know what? Trent Williams from the uh, the Washington Football Club, I, I mean, big guy, quick, athletic. You see a, a big tackle that can move so well. I mean, he's still – You know, a guy that, you know, without that injury and what happened this year, he was still a guy that is playing at one of the highest levels in the league, one of the top five, top ten offensive tackles. So I think Trent Williams with the Washington team, uh, just big, athletic, great punch. I mean, he does a great job of keeping you, you know, off your game and tracking you when you're rushing the passer. So I I, I have to give it to him. And in practice, man, I play, oh, my goodness, in practice, in practice. I mean, you know, it it, it probably has to be DeBrick and Shaw Ferguson to be honest with you, just a, you know, not a huge, you know, tackle, but long arm, smart, I, I mean, plays you well, sets you up, and he, he has a whole game plan for, you know, which defensive man he's going against, you know, plays you with his inside arm, doesn't give you his outside arm, intelligent, I mean, I'm just a, an and a, and a extremely good worker, you know, and, and the practices, I was always, always matched up with Brick, you know he was a starter, and at the times when I was on the show team, I matched up with Brick, and you know I always came, to, you know I always came to practice, and I have never heard him once say slow down or take it easy or I'm trying to take it off. He always came to practice hard. You know when we went against each other, and definitely a, a very good teammate, and probably one of the best that I've actually played with in you know camp or practice or something like that. V A Virginia, I know he probably don't like it now, man, because V A having a little rough go. Having mm. a good season, but you know no Wah Wah this uh this bowl game season
2: from Freeport Long Island. There we go. You had a couple of guys that were on that team from UVA, Thomas Jones too.
1: TJ was on that team. I know TJ a couple of days ago, he was talking about that uh, Virginia running back. He said they got to get some more Virginia boys in there so uh so hopefully those Wahoo Waz. you know, my boy <laughs> <laughs> Nate Collins played for the Giants. He's a Virginia kid too, so uh Virginia guy. So Wahoo wahs fellas. Next question
2: comes in from Brandon Howard. He says, can Jamal please explain how Ed Oliver benefits from the players around him in Buffalo and why Quinnen's situation is limiting him from a scheme usage mindset, et cetera, standpoint? Also, the difference between the 3-4-4-3. Three, four, four, three.
1: Okay, we got to break this question. Now, Ed Oliver, how does, he, how does he produce, how does he benefit from the players around him? So if you look at that situation with Sean McDermott, Leslie, Leslie Frazier, what they've done over there on defense. You know, this is their – I believe this is their second or third year together as a staff. You know, so the guys on their defense, this is not their first year in this defense. So Ed Arvo's coming to a defense is a little bit more mature. They're a little bit more mature on their roster where, you know, he's not asked to do things that maybe aren't his, you know, forte, you know, things that may – you know, he's not asked to sit there and hold block. He's a quicker, smaller, attacking inside uh, defensive linemen can create great push, you know, great pad level, I mean, hands, quickness, he kind of has it all as a, you know, not a big guy but quick, athletic, aggressive you know, a guy that played three years in, in college, played a lot of football in college and he's in there with guys that have been playing in that defense, you know, they know this game, so he's only asked to do his job alright, and this is your job to play do your 111, all the other guys know what they're doing just do your job, you know, he's not asked to, and I'm saying he's not, asked. I'm not in their meeting room, but The Jets, what did we say from Quentin Williams? A lot of injuries in the uh, Jets linebacker. And a lot of injuries in the secondary. So Greg Williams, instead of playing a defense where this is the players we have, this is our roster. Okay, these are the sub packages we're going to play. We're going to put Quentin in in a certain position in this sub defense because we're going to take an inside linebacker off the field. You know, we're going to put on a corner or something like that. Greg Williams is kind of pulling players. All right, listen, we got to make it work now because we're trying to win the game. What can he do good? Listen, we have to win football games. We have to play winning defense. So I think there's more of a – in Buffalo, they've had time to build the culture. They've had time to build their roster. They know their defense. The guys around at Oliver, they've been in that defense so they can even talk to him during the games. You know, He's coming into a defense that's played together a year, so he's kind of fitting in where he can and standing out where he always does. Quentin in a different position where – They're both young players. It's going to take a while for them to really hit their max, but Quinn is on a team that wasn't winning. This is the team's first year together. If you think about Gase as a new head coach, new defense, there's new terminology. Everybody has to learn the new terminology together. And they had a lot of injuries. Not saying that Quinn, you know, couldn't have had a better year or it's okay the year he had because even, you know, he said that, He wanted to do more this year. He wanted to be more productive this year. And even Greg Williams has said, you know, he's a very smart kid who, you know, plays all four positions along the defensive line. He can play them all. You know, he's learned them all. So it looks like he's playing a little bit slow, a little bit hesitant, and you can't really see that freakish athleticism, you know, throughout the game. But I do believe as he matures more, as he gets stronger in his upper body, as he gets more twitchy, as he just develops as an NFL player, you know, in his diet, keeping his, you know, weight where it needs to be, you know, keeping his nutrition right. As he develops more, he would get better. And that's just what I believe as interior defense alignment, from what I've seen, you know, for him in college and his first year. I don't, I haven't seen anything that'll make me think, you know what? He's a guy that's not going to get any better. Because as the team gets better, as his role and as he, what he's supposed to do, and the defense is defined. And as you get another offseason to learn and to become more of a um, professional, more of a student of the game, his, his play is going to improve. Next question comes
2: in from Dan Acosta. He says, Why does Jay Feely hate Sam Darnold and the Jets so much? Was Mrs. Feely the one who gave Sam Darnold mono? Also, why did Le'Veon Bell not get a single touch after the half until about five minutes left in the game? Was it just load management? Adam Gase's answer to that was, well, that's just football. I'm not really sure what that means, but let's go through this. First of all, I don't necessarily think that Jay Feely hates the Jets. I just think that he's very poorly prepared and ill-informed. And so his commentary is mostly an abomination. I heard his commentary in the Jets-Bills game. I hadn't heard the other one that he did because I was at the stadium for that one. This one was in Buffalo, so I was home. And he might be the worst color commentator I've ever heard in my life. All due respect to the guy, I thought he was a good kicker. But he was absolutely horrible. And then as far as on Bell, I was curious about this, Jamal, what you thought not necessarily about his usage in this particular game, but overall, I just thought it was peculiar that Adam Gase didn't use him more as a receiver because even if Le'Veon Bell was having trouble running behind that offensive line, there were other ways that you could deploy him and it just felt like Gase didn't do enough of that. Am I crazy?
1: I listen, I definitely wanted to see him more. Personally, I definitely wanted to see, you know, Lab, you know, get the ball more in the passing game than the running game, you know, get him on the edge, just let him kind of go out. And have a kind of a big game you know just selfishly you always want to see players that you know that have high ability to play you know that that's been good players the league. you want to see them produce what you did in nl you know when gay said it's just football it could be something that's just football it could be something that we're calling plays we're getting things done you know we figure you know we have these plays designed and it didn't it, it didn't get executed the way we wanted to or we checked out of a run play that was signed up for him and we, you know, we had to check it out, and it Sam may have checked out of it, or he saw something different. So I don't think, you know, you can look at it as – I know everybody wants to make it, Oh, you don't want to give it to him because he doesn't like them. But sometimes really shouldn't just football, to be honest with you. Sometimes you you look up and you're like, man, you know, you, you after the game, you're like, well, I didn't realize that, you know, we didn't run this defense, you know, in the second half, or, you know, why not? You know, talk to the that be like, yeah, because – we didn't think it will work because this guy went down with an ankle. So, all the things we wanted to do, we kind of took it out. So, it could be just football. I know, and I know we like to look a little deeper into it. You know, but I'm, and to be honest, I want to see him more, too. I mean, when you have that type of back, when you have that type of player, getting the ball in his hands is always a good thing. But you always got to go back to it's about winning the game. It's about putting a competitive team out in the field. So, at the time, maybe that wasn't in the game plan. Maybe that wasn't. You know, at the time where they thought would be the best, you know, to win the game. So you just got to go back and look at it. And as long as you get the win, you kind of look at it and be like, all right, it is what it is.
2: That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with Jamal tomorrow for part two of your questions. In the meantime, if you haven't given us a five star review on iTunes yet, we really appreciate it. If you could do that, it doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it helps out a lot. So we'd be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go it's turn on the jets digital and turn on the